Call it. Call it, yes. For a whole lot. Just call it. Welcome to episode two of Call It Friendo with myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan. In this episode, we discuss Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet, before discussing this week's films, Stanley Kubrick's 1956 racetrack heist, The Killing, and John Berman's 1967 classic, Point Blank. This episode contains spoilers right from the start. Apologies for any audio issues, but we did invert ourselves shortly before recording. Yes, I did. I saw Tenet. What All did right. you call it? Tenant or Tenet? I called it Tenet. Uh, I think a lot of people in Scotland call it Tenant, probably uh, because of the famous lager beer. Nice. In Spain, they're all calling it Tenet. Tenet. That's also yeah. good. Uh, yeah. It's. God damn it. I, I, I'm going to open up with the, just a massive irony that regardless of what people might say as, as about Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker, he specializes in making everybody feel like they're smart by getting it, when really his films are pretty easy to follow. And then when it landed on the film that had to save cinema, he finally <laughs> seemed to get the opportunity to be himself. And honestly, it was difficult. And it's the strangest kind of difficult because I know what's going on the whole way, but also the whole way I'm trying to conceive of reversed entropy. And it fucks me in the head. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Okay, so overall, my opinion of this film is that the whole going backwards thing just doesn't work. It doesn't work. That whole in what conceit, way? The concept is interesting, but cinematically, I think it looks stupid. I think it just looks silly. I I'm gonna I'm not gonna say silly, but I I'm I'm glad you the words you you use completely are it doesn't work because I actually think that that's that's all it. That's all it, it has to do for this film to be any good. And it doesn't. And it's as simple as that. Um, yeah. And all the other elements are very good and entertaining to watch. Uh, Washington is excellent. Um, mm. That giant lady is good too, who's going to be Princess Di in The Crown. Uh, Kenneth Branagh? Okay, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe probably. I like Kenneth, I like Kenneth Branagh. I like Kenneth Branagh. He's very good. Russian He's accent very, very much. good. Uh, Robert Pat, like everybody's good. The cinematography is Nolan standard, excellent. And then even to just dive into spoiler territories, well, even though mm, that's one, th that's one thing somebody said to me. They're like, "Oh, don't spoil it." I was thinking it's impossible to spoil this film. You won't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> people like... run backwards. There, are, there are two groups of people trying to blow up a tower at the same time. Some of them are going forwards, and some of them are going backwards, and they're shooting people. Who are they shooting? I don't know. Are they shooting each other? No, they're just shooting nameless, faceless bad guys who are being run by Roman Abramovich, the chairman of Chelsea. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I'll drop the bomb and say well, it's, it's got to be his worst film, hasn't it? 100%. Have you, have you watched Following? Yes, I have. I like Following. Yeah, that, I know. I was going to say, like, that, like, his lowest budget, smallest film, first film he ever made, is a million times better than this. Maybe not a million times, but it's a lot better than this. I'm so glad we're on the same page because people who've been saying that they love this movie, I feel like, I feel, I, I have a theory, I have many theories, but I call one of them the sushi theory, which is that, okay, I'm sure there's really good sushi out there in the world somewhere, but I think most of the time people are faking it. I think most of the time people are going, mmm, because it just tastes like rice and soy sauce most of the time. 
But because everybody yeah. else is doing it and they want their opinions to be more considered, they go along with the whole sushi brigade. I think fucking most people who say they'd like this movie are what actually would like to articulate what you did in opening, which is that it just doesn't work. I think there are some of the, like, one of the problems for me is that he's taken the Sator Square. Have you, have you seen all the things about that? No, what, tell me about that. There's, again, this is... Should we go, should we go chronology and do a synopsis first? No, nah, well, because it's, we're not, are we really talking about the whole thing? Or, yeah, okay, I mean, we Just could, to talk, but... So let, well, we, let me we explain won't go what, through it point by what, point. Yeah, please, please. Let Sorry. me explain what the Sator Square is, okay? It's a palindrome. It's a five-word Latin palindrome. Mm-hmm. And the words, so it's basically, it's like a, it's a stone square. You can find them in different places around the world. And okay. they're obviously like hundreds of years old, if not thousands. Mm-hmm. And so the first word across is Sator, S-A-T-O-R. Then mm-hmm. the next word is Arepo, A-R-E-P-O. Then the next word is Tenet. And then the next word is Opera. Hmm? And then the final word is Rotas, R-O-T-A-S. And so it's a palindrome. It's a square of five palindromes where you read the words in in... Uh, horizontally and vertically. Okay. Yeah, I have so one in front of me now. So that's that's what the film is based on. The bad guy is called Sator. Tenet is obviously the name of the film. They've filmed at the opera. <laughs> they had, a, yeah. they had a, a scene set at the opera. Yeah. Like, it's it's just... That's, again, is such a Christopher Nolan thing. He's like, ah, this is very mystical. What, just Let's be see a, what I can, see what I can do with this. Just being a prick. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's I, I had, uh, you have completely opened my eyes uh, but yeah yeah that is a bit um, pigeonholed I think is the word but the thing is I, I know quite a few people who, di- who really disliked Dunkirk for reasons that sound like what you're saying but I actually think I think Dunkirk is his best film and I, like, I think he did really really try for something in it and the ma- it, I think that's why it's his best film I think he act- absolutely completely pulls it off and one thing I will say for Tenet is, to get back to the phrase you opened with, what he's going for, I actually think he pulls off, but it just doesn't work. Yeah, I, I think it has a lot of problems, uh, a typical Christopher Nolan problems. The dialogue is a bit clunky at times. Female uh, character is a bit meh. Yeah, the, um, en- the ending, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings goodbye type ending. Uh, <laughs> Good, like I thought, Jesus Christ! That, I mean, that's really like uh, somebody rushed that on a Friday afternoon or something. Um, that, it, the, yeah. the, the, la, the last scene with Robert Pattinson is just yeah. exposition. It's just basic exposition. We were always, we've always been friends. We've yeah. been friends for years. Yeah, I mean, it just and hasn't the, happened yet. We, we won't go through the whole thing because it would be fucking no, no, impossible. It'll take, it'll take far too long as well. But, but uh, like, we just lay out when some it opened, basic points. With the opening scene, I genuinely thought I was in for a bit of a treat. I was all like, the, that sequence yes, in the, in the yeah, opera. The, whole I was, opera yeah, the, the opera's great. I was like, fuck yes. And then uh, that, that feeling lasted until even the, that lady tells him about the backwards bullets. <laughs> so his death, so he's, I think, 
because also one of the reasons I like the opera thing is because it was difficult enough for me to figure out what was going on. It's and one I, of those things where you're watching it, where you're like, okay, this is typical Christopher Nolan. It's going to be confusing the first time, and probably after I've watched this multiple times, it's going to be like this really obvious thing that's yeah. very clear. I've only seen this once, and I don't have a massive desire to watch it again. Have you? I seen was it gonna. Twice I was point? gonna. No, I was gonna go see it again, and then I saw something else on, and I decided not to be masochistic, and I just uh, mm. I said. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I remember years ago, the first time I watched uh, Mulholland Drive, I hated it. And then I read so many reviews, I said, uh, I didn't even finish it the first time. I was just too young, I suppose. And then I uh, read so many reviews and I said, okay, 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 I'll give this another go. And I didn't really like it. But at the same time, I got the feeling that I was the problem. Uh, yeah. And then I did, I watched it again a few years ago and I genuinely fucking loved it it blew me away i consider it one of my favorite films now but i i need to i need to watch it again it's been a long time i watched it when it came out and i've seen it probably maybe once since then but i, I like need to see it again yeah it's what well, and actually mulholland drive popped into my head quite a bit while i was watching tenet because i got the feeling that for people who could actually conceive of quantum mechanics it's possible tenet would not have been such a slog, such a mental slog, because the like when I when I watched uh, Mulholland Drive and I finally got it, I don't know something clicked into my head about the dream logic. There's a lot of dream logic going on in it, and it just kind of worked for me. And where there seems to be no story emotionally, there is a real story, and it works. Um, and mechanically, seemingly in Tenet, there's a bit of a story, but emotionally, could you give less of a fuck? About yeah. anyone or anything. Yeah, I don't. I, and I, I was and thinking honestly, about the that. Other like... thing, the biggest problem for me that everything centralized around was I did not honestly get what the fuck Kenneth Branagh was trying to do. I couldn't. He's trying think... to. He's trying to destroy the world because people in the future sent him a bunch of money, or they sent him gold through time so that he could destroy the world because he was dying of cancer. Something to do with climate so just... change yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, cancer. Well, because the world is fucked in the future. Mm. So they sent back a bunch of, because they want to invert time so that the timeline will start going the other direction. So they can travel through time the other way, potentially. Don't really know how that works. But then Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh is dying of cancer, so he's like, fuck it. Ah, just, fuck it. Why not? Why not? Hey, why not? They gave me some gold. Might as well. Well, he, but he wants to end. to do on your yacht. End existence forever. That's his. Th that was... Yeah, yeah. So why? But it, it ends existence because they're not inverted. Mm. I, I get the feeling from the future. It doesn't end existence for people in the future. Yeah, I mean, nah, fuck it. <laughs> I read. A, I actually. Will I bother? Quite, Go on. I read a book uh, on a similar uh, topic that I quite liked, which is called "The Fifteen Lives of Harry August" by Claire North. I've heard of that book. Yeah, yeah, it's a guy who, it's a, the main character is, a, he, get, he gets reborn. Every time he dies, he gets reborn, and there's a lot of other people like him. And basically, messages get passed forward from the future saying that the world's going to end. And it's his, similar to this, it's his mm. responsibility to, to, to try and stop it. Um, but it covers some of similar themes, but way better. I don't know if they'll ever make that into a film or like TV series. If they do, I think it'll be great. But... I mean, it's possible Nolan's poisoned the well a little bit. Um, yeah. 
but the thing is, it does. The good thing is, I suppose, it does seem to be saving multiplexes. And now we've got uh, a confirmed release date for No Time to Die. And actually, yeah, I, I want to call back on something that I have repeatedly took. Uh, well, not repeatedly, but it definitely enough took the piss out of you about the Marvel films a little bit. One thing <laughs> that Tenet brought out of me massively is, fuck, I want a super movie, a superhero movie in the cinema. I'm looking forward to Black Widow. Oh it's my! Coming God. in November. I I watched. I saw that was one of the trailers uh, when I saw Tenet. It was the final trailer trailer for Black Widow, and uh, I thought it looked good. I think I, I think good. that looks great. I also think um, No Time to Die. Yeah, looks like fan- Jamie looks Jamie fantastic. Bonds. I think it looks speaking really terrific. Of, speaking of Sam Mendes, mm-hmm. uh, the reason so Tenet was edited by Jennifer Lame. Jennifer Lame. Lame. Who is Noah Noah Bombach's editor? Okay. All the other, all the Nolan films since Batman Begins, as I like to call it, <laughs> Batman Begins. All of the, all of his films since that one were edited by Lee Smith, but Lee Smith was doing 1917 with Sam Mendes, so Nolan had to get a different editor, so he got Jennifer Lamey instead. And I feel like, I don't know if that's part of the problem as well. Maybe not. Maybe just the backwards thing is the major problem. But changing editors definitely doesn't help. And, well, apart from that, I think COVID has fucked this film to an extent. Because I think there might have been more polish put on it if there were. Because what happened was they worked in, as far as I'm aware, they worked with a smaller team of people working on it. And they weren't able to do test screenings the same way that they would have. Yeah. Yeah, because they were worried about it leaking out, so they couldn't do like you know they couldn't do test screenings the way that they they would normally do. It. What was you like? You seem to have followed it more than me. I didn't or, have any problem with it, except and again, there was a Guardian article the other day about why the audio is so bad, why the audio mix is terrible. It's yes, like Bane, I did notice that. Like most, yeah. there's large sections. That again is like COVID the movie. It's just people in masks going. So even with that, I, I was thinking you at, at least saw it with Spanish language subtitles. Yeah, I'm assuming I saw it without any subtitles, and I was like, <laughs> I would have taken, I would have taken any language subtitles to help me out. <laughs> even Chinese, I would have tried to figure something out because there were a few lines where it was kind of like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And well, it wouldn't have helped either that the. Uh, uh, Original score seems uh, aimed and poised to blow your fucking head off. Yeah, it's what's his name, Ludwig Göransson. Ludwig Göransson. I sound harsh there, but I actually do think the score was one of the better things in it. Yeah, uh, I haven't listened to. It. Is is the score out and released? Because I couldn't find it on Spotify. No, no, nor could I. So uh, I'm going to presume not. But I enjoyed it during the film. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was the typical Nolan build up, like a big soundscape of crazy things happening on screen and just. But there's so many just elements not hanging together of stuff that you love about Nolan. Like it, like it, the cinematography is fucking gorgeous. It looks amazing. Um, his other I was going to say his other films the characters explain what's going on and they don't write it off it's it's surprising to me that the whole time travel uh, going backwards in time thing in this film is just written off as like you don't need to don't don't worry yourself love you don't need to know how this works you don't well, need to know what the rules are I, I don't know about that man I mean they do kind of write off the dream uh, technology in Inception at least that that world has rules that are fairly clear. 
yeah. I don't know. I feel I feel like that has a more established. You have an idea more clearly of what's going on because the first time you watch that film, it seems like it's a little confusing. But when you watch it a second time, you're like, oh my god, the first hour is just setting the rules. It's just yeah. characters explaining the rules of the world. You're like, fucking hell, I already know this part. Mm. Skip, skip on. You see, the thing is, I did like I at no point did I lose complete track of the story it was more so the action and when i can't follow act, action in a if in a film it it frustrates the absolute fuck out of me um because that's the main thing like that i love about action cinema and that i think never really gets its due um is because action cinema is about geography knowing where you are and how it works like if you go go way back to seven samurai i don't know if you ever seen seven samurai have you andy yes many many years ago uh, i that there's a whole section in that movie where it's the guys walking around the village mapping it out so that when the final action scene comes that you know where you are and what's happening and that was back in the early stages of movie grammar and you take that right up to the modern day and you've got uh, something like the finest example of the evolution would be the mad max movies the newest one right. particularly yeah, yeah, but sure, road, sure. road Ro- warrior is amazing action as well um, whereas there, you, it's chaos happening, but you know exactly what the fuck is happening. Yeah. Um, but that, that, there, I was just going to say there have been arguments, or Christopher Nolan has been accused of not having the most logical action scenes. I mean, even I was thinking back to like to the Dark Knight. Yeah, the Batman movies there, don't there, have don't have tight there action. Were, there were a lot of negative responses to to how action was staged in those films. Uh, yeah, but I mean, those films have have giant uh, themes hanging there in the background, and that's really what's moving you. During they, also, the... they also have a man dressed as a bat. They got a guy what? in a bat costume. They got a guy with some funny face paint. It's pretty cool. He's a bat, and he does a he does a growling voice. He, he does a nice growly voice. I get it. I think I think it's pretty cool. I think. People... And then there's a guy with half a face and a lady called yeah, Rachel. Half, half face, half face. He's called famous half face. Butler man, of course, and then uh, black scientist. Black scientist. Uh, he makes stuff. Yes, exactly. He's he, <laughs> can't go on this forever. But right, Wait, uh, how would you rank Nolan's movie? Like after this, like ten at definitely down at the bottom. Number ten, if ten is yeah. Well, that's why it's called. He's got ten. Ten yeah. at that was part of his thinking. He wanted it to be his worst film. Has he made ten <laughs> films? I even know that. I don't know. Uh, Whatever. <laughs> we'll number ten. It has to go at number ten. That's the whole thing. Uh, so hold on, I'm going to do it on my hands. We've got following, Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins, uh, The Dark Knight, no, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, uh, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and Tennis. So that's actually 11. 11 films. 11, okay. Mm-hmm. 11. It's number 11, Tennis. Can you, Sorry. Can you believe he fucked that up? He, me- he messed it all up. He did, yeah. He meant to make this film last. Uh, I would as... say for me, if I had to choose my top three, yeah, that's I don't e- know in which question. order. Let's say top three. Uh, this could be a sh- this could be shocking. I would have, I'd probably go number one, The Prestige, because I love The Prestige. I've seen it so many oh, no. times. That'd be my number two. Well, my number two would be Memento. Okay. I love that. Again, I saw that in the cinema. It was quite formative for me. I think I saw it. Probably wow, I would have loved to have seen the film. Although even like my, my first viewing of that was quite yeah formative as well. Go on anyway. My third is very controversial. Interstellar. Nope. Dark Knight yes, Rises. Yeah, okay. Nope. I have no idea. Go on. It is a remake. 
Insomnia. Insomnia. I love it. I love it. I I, love I, that I, film. I really like Insomnia too. I think um But I, it gets it gets it gets a really bad rap. It does, yeah. It people does. don't like it at all. Have you ever seen the original? No, I haven't watched I've, that with uh, Stellan Skarsgård. I've yeah. never either, but I, I think uh, honestly think Nolan does great stuff with that movie. Um I love it. The, like and I love the location shooting in it as well. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, opened yeah, some yeah. Fuck bumble town up in Alaska, yeah, Alaska full of fog right. with night with, night mute to Alaska. Yeah, it's and it's evil. Uh, oh God, like you know the scenes where uh, Al Pacino runs around the town during the night, but it's during the day. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's fa- like the stuff like that is fantastic. Uh, Robin Williams and Ch- Pacino. Robin Williams doing his creepy. Oh yeah, they're creepy, crushing it. Both of them are. Yep. You know what people give out about shouty Al? I want to go. I want to go on the record as saying I really enjoy shouty Al. I like. I like to uh, to to a certain extent. I don't know if he maybe goes over the top. I mean, I don't know if there's a limit, perhaps, of what is enough. Al Pacino uh, is heat too much. Shouty Al. No, not for me. But he is like the pinnacle for me of that of Shouty Al. That's is that's any given Sunday best. too much. Shouty Al. That's where you're re- you're getting up into that danger zone. I think you're starting to hit sort of amber, going towards red. Hmm, okay. Uh, I think I might have the... Is The Irishman too much, Shouty Al? I still haven't seen I haven't watched The Irishman purely because of how long it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, spoiler, it is too long. Yeah. It is definitely too long. Uh, so, yeah, all right. Glad we're in agreement. Yeah, Tenet's a fucking giant pile of shite. Wait, so what were your top three? Nolan's? Oh, Nolan films. Um, mine would be number one, Dunkirk, number two, The Prestige, mm. and number three, actually, Interstellar. I have a lot of time for Interstellar. I liked Interstellar again, saw it in the cinema in Barcelona, but I remember not being mad keen on some of the dialogue. I, uh, I suppose that is one that he got me with the concept. Yeah, concept's interesting. I, he like, I, well, I liked the idea, like, the, I, I like. The idea of a, a long distance, uh, there's, got a, there's definitely another word for it. The word might be interstellar, <laughs> space travel. <laughs> I like when people go between stars or star <laughs> systems. That's really interesting for me. But yeah. <laughs> well, I like, the, like yeah, uh, an interstellar story that did actually feel grounded in the world we live in. That was quite interesting to me. Yeah, Plus, like walking like robots, sarcastic robots. Exactly, like yeah, that kind of thing, like sarcastic, depressed. That's how I, I also, live my life. I also think they got peak um, McConaughey. I think he was great in that movie, and he was basking in his newfound charisma. Um, most like he, like Nolan, really cashed in his McConaughey chips when they counted. I enjoyed Dunkirk, but it's not in my top three, and I think I prefer Nineteen Seventeen. If I had to pit those two against each other, uh, I would have. To, I, I haven't seen uh, 1917 since the cinema. I saw it twice in Me the cinema. Me either. And I, yeah. I, I saw it twice in the cinema. I, I fucking loved it. I was blown away by it. I've seen, I saw Dunkirk also twice in the cinema, and I've seen Me it sev- several times at home. And, uh, I, that, you, and it's, it's tight how as does well. It, how does it hold up on the small screen? Brilliantly. Really, really brilliantly. Because um, it, it, there's a, a great example of, uh, for me, an action movie like the physical space is there the planes and they're swooping and everything it all feels so real um mm-hmm. i think it, like he does a great and tom hardy for a performance that he does just with his eyes is fantastic another um, masked tom hardy yeah 
This is wait. Where else is Tom Hardy Matt? Well, The Dark Knight Rises, famously. Oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. Uh, is there an? Oh yeah, the Fire Rises. He's been recently. I, I I have a lot of time for Bane. Not quite the last third of that movie, but anyway. A lot of time for Bane. Yeah. He, I liked his ideas. I like he's a very principled young man. Uh, you know the the Guardian crowd eventually turned against that movie because it makes uh, the Occupy Wall Street people bad guys. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway, yep. I read the article. Um, well, there, you go. there you go. Exactly. So yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So fuck Tenet and moving fuck on. Fuck Tenet and it's it's stupid asshole. So now, as is tradition, I suppose the winning film from last week or yep. the, the film chosen by the, the toss winner, winner. The, the toss winner the prime the <laughs> the prime tosser uh gets yep. read out first so i'll take that so killing is a 1956 heist film directed by the then 28 years old stanley kubrick it's considered by a lot of people to be like his first mature film let's say and could i suppose by that logic be considered really his first film because what are Stanley Kubrick films if not mature? Actually, have you have you seen the uh, what Fear and Desire and Killer's Kiss? No, but are those not really considered? Uh, he didn't films. consider them, so that's right. good enough for me to be honest. Plus, yep. if you ever hear, I, I saw you have uh, Kubrick books handy. If you ever, um, I do read the synopsis of uh, Fear and Desire, it uh, like. It seems like the sort of movie that like a very young person would make. A man is scared really cool. and wants stuff. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is it? Uh, it's a fictional <laughs> allegory about a team of survive a uh, team of soldiers <laughs> who survive a plane crash and are caught behind enemy lines in a war. Yes, and then the the they creep up on a group of other soldiers and the other one soldiers... of the soldiers becomes infatuated with an attractive girl in the woods and binds her to a tree. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. But when okay. the the enemy soldiers are played by the same actors, so it's a war allegory, oh. uh, kind of clunky for a Spielberg thing. Uh, anyway, Spielberg. Oh, is it, I said Spielberg instead of uh, Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, fuck. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so it's a story of a heist that uh, I don't think you're. It goes wrong. Uh, all the elements like of a heist uh, of a heist film are there and in place, but they're kind of, they're muddled up with. Um, uh, a very informative newscaster type narrator who you must have been thrilled with. I loved it. I love. I love a narrator. Love it. I like being told. I like being told how the characters feel as well as what they're doing. Um, I, which this guy does very much. Oh yeah, because it's just he's like reading ex- excerpts from a novel. Yeah, right. pretty much. Um, so yeah, you got all the place the elements of a heist movie in place, and it's all dusted off with um, kind of a desperation. By Jim Thompson's dialogue, he got a dialogue credit. Apparently, Stanley Kubrick fucked him off. Yeah, he a bit. fucked him over. That's why I heard. That's why I read. Uh, he should have just gotten a screenplay credit or at least a co-write credit. Um, but whole... he also went. He also worked with Kubrick on Paths of Glory. Glory. I think. Yeah, that's right. Which is full of uh, chess metaphors too. Uh, yeah, there's a, little, a bit it. of chess. A bit of chess in this one. So, yeah, yeah, it's a heist movie, but. With a a little bit of noir in there, and it's a heist movie sort of taken apart and examined like it's in a lab, and that's that's in part. Well, no, that's completely. You get that feel because of the way the narrator dissects it. Um, pretty much, he's telling you how a heist comes off as a piece of 
engineering, let's say. Uh, like I mentioned before, regarding Paths of Glory, chess informs like the themes of the film, some of the scenes as well. Um, and that is initially how um, James Harris, the producer, and Kubrick actually met. He was playing chess in Times Square. That's what got him the job, apparently. Uh, anyway, so you liked the narrator. You liked the narrator introducing you to our first character, um, Marvin. Go. Marvin? Oh, yeah. Originally, he's the first character uh, that you see. Yeah, I liked it. I liked being told. It was nice to be grounded in this situation i wasn't really expecting it i don't know what i expected of the killing but i mean without skipping all the way through it i found it to be really it felt really modern at certain times oh it does and i yeah. guess that's i guess that's just because it's been copied there are so yeah. many films that have like ripped off elements or for sure I mean, have used a lot of elements of it over the years so yeah i liked the narrator breaking it down and then leading us into meeting Johnny Clay. Yeah, so then, yeah, basically, we do the... That, that's a regular heist movie thing. You get, to, you, yeah. you get taken through the crew. So first of all, we meet, uh, we meet Marvin, I think. Marvin, who is going to, I think, plan the thing and bankroll it a little bit. Yeah. Marvin is like one of Johnny Clay's friends. Yeah, he's. I also is he gay like a for, father figure for Johnny or something? Clay? Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of that. There was a bit of that going on. I yeah, we'll get know. to the, we'll get to that scene because, like, yeah, yeah I, I was I was wondering about that. I like you'll come across that loads in old movies, and um, yeah, the the little parts that I've looked into, uh, it makes a lot of sense. For example, if if you see a film like uh, what is it called, the 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 Lost Weekend about a boozy writer who originally was gay in the book it's based on. But they, like Billy Wilder leaves hints of the gayness around the picture. Right. They, they just couldn't include it. Yeah, but, just, you just, they just couldn't say that. But like modern, bo- like bohemian types of the day knew of the existence of homosexuality and probably, right. probably actually would have rather put it in films. Surely um, there wasn't any of that going on in Hollywood at the time. Surely nah. not. <laughs> <laughs> I... Definitely not a type of thing didn't exist. No, sure it didn't. Honestly, there was a time in my life where I would have just, like, like, not, my mind wouldn't have explicitly formed this uh, idea, but the sentiment was in my mind that homosexuality didn't exist before the 70s. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, if, if you just watched films from the 1950s. Or... Yeah, just based on what I knew, like, I, like, yeah. like just, just pure ignorance. I was like, sure isn't gayness only a modern thing? Uh, my dad i'd say certainly still thinks of it that way uh anyway yeah it is um anyway so then so first of all yeah we get introduced to marvin who's in a train who's in a the office the lobby area the foyer of a track um who order who seems to order a ginger ale camera introduces us to our next fellow who we'll eventually meet, I think his name is Mike. Mike O'Reilly, maybe? The track. Yeah, Mike O'Reilly. Uh, yeah, he's the, he's the, the barkeep at the, bar the track. Tender. And then you've got a good old pathetic George, who's a betting teller. And those are our yep. three boys in the track. Then we're caught. We're introduced to Johnny Clay, who's desperate to not go to jail again and run away with his bird, Faye. The legendary Sterling Hayden from mm. The Godfather. From The Godfather. Who Who's... gets murdered by Al, Al Pacino. His, he actually, his introduction um, then is one of those, it's 
one of those instances in the movie where I something arrived which I was glad to see arrive because I always like this in films. Uh, just he looks real. He looks like a real guy. He doesn't look yeah, like Yeah, he actor. does look like a real man. But he then looked- that's funny again because uh, you get that real 1950s sensibility where mm. I get I get the, I understand that Sterling Hayden was very popular, but like him and his wife and George and his wife <laughs> look like there there's a slight age gap between them. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 for sure. He looks like a real grizzled man and his wife like Faye, the girl that he's going to marry, mm. she seems like really kind of young and pretty. Yeah, and then yeah. George, George is like a kind of like withered, beaten down old man and his his wife is is still kind of young. She's in her she's like mid 30s, the actress. Oh yeah, and she she's, well she's actually clearly out on the town. She's despite the fact that I really enjoyed her. Uh, so that's George's wife. We're later introduced. Yeah, George, he's Sherry. the 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 he's the um, betting he's teller, the track teller. Yeah, yeah uh, it, she's from another movie. Like, and I enjoyed her, yeah. but she's from yeah, no, she's, she's from great. John Huston or or Billy Wilder or one of those. Like she, they're like. There's so much realism going on. And actually, George is too. George is also from another movie. Those are both hardline and, car- character and, actors. And also Nikki. Well, we, we'll come to that later. But Nikki is from another film, The the Sharpshooter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He he's from another a... time. He's from another... He's from a, he's he's from a completely... Though, he's he? great. He's I, his amazing, introduction he's scene from was... a different place. Oh, God, he's fantastic. He reminded me of the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond. Anyway, so we get introduced to Sterling Hayden, who, yeah, uh, looks like he could fight, I would say, also. Uh, you know, it looks like, you know, he's not exactly put together, but I would put my money on him in most in any... Yeah, well, he's like one of those guys. He's like a guy from that t- that time period who's clearly never worked out, but he's he, he looks like he could still fight. He could do 1950s fighting. Yeah, just which is like drunken dirty. bar brawling, yeah. ripping off your shirt and having a massively hairy back and chest. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, okay, then we get introduced to George and Sherry, who like when I said earlier, you know, this is gonna go alright. This is when you know it's gonna go alright. You're like, oh, you're here to just to, and even though he's ultimately not the reason it goes awry. Um, oh God, it's just it's just such a. It's like cancer on the screen watching them. Just him, <laughs> him be like in a good way. I suppose good, good cancer. Good cancer, yeah. But oh god, he's <laughs> just horrible and pathetic to watch. Uh, yeah, he is. Their relationship is is hard. It's hard are there watch. men like that? Have you ever witnessed a man like that? He he reminds me of you a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't know. I I I don't know. I assume so. There must be. Because they're or working do you think with it's an... just a 1950 stereotype and it doesn't exist anymore. Well, no, they're working with an archetype there for sure, and I mean, it, they, yeah, yeah, they yeah. exist. Yeah. Also, in... the ladies, sure, they exist in pornography. That's what's called a cook, surely. He's a cu- a cook. A cook, yeah, a cook. A cook is, is someone who cooks. That's 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 from yeah from like baking or cookery. Um. Okay. Then we after no, actually, I think before we get introduced to the peeties or the petties or whatever. Uh, we get we get introduced to um, massively indebted policeman Randy Kennan, uh, which is one of the more um, indebted. That's the wrong word, isn't it? I don't know. He's in debt. He owes a lot of money. Yeah, he's in debt to uh, a, a big... mob, a mob uh, 
gambling uh, uh, bookie, a mob bookie. Well, Char- he looks like a mob guy. Character the name is Leo the Lone Shark. Ah, he's a Lone Shark. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Lone Shark, man. Uh, so, yeah, everybody's promising the results of the heist early on as well, which is <laughs> yeah. not good. I'm going to have We're going to have millions. Yeah, he's promising Leo the Lone Shark at having the money and then some. George spills the beans on the heist uh, to his wife, which means he's going to fuck it up. She then spills the beans to uh, Val Cannon, who's plowing her, who's, who's giving her a good, a good old uh, seeing to on the side. Yep. It's weird uh, the way they approach sex in movies like this. Because, <laughs> uh, st- like, 1950s. Johnny Clay and Faye are definitely oh, just, ju- just after writing when um, Marvin comes in, but they're fully clothed. Uh, and uh, yeah, fucking Sherry is definitely gets plowed by Val Cannon. Um, oh yeah, absolutely, the old, the old Cannon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, Val. To be honest, Val Cannon. Val Cannon looks to me like he's got a few bits on the side going. I would say so, but he almost gets caught out on that as well because she's asking him, "What are you doing? Running? You're running around the town." Yeah, so then and he's sh- like, "Hey, I got to do my stuff. Don't worry about it. You stay with the cop." Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll yeah. see you when I see you. She's basically uh, his George. He's he's making a yeah. fool of her. Uh, but Everyone th- has a George, a George Beatty. That's what uh, we learned. If I might say as well, though, I mean, then she tries. Uh, then uh, she tries to tramp herself out to Johnny Clay. But we'll get to oh, that. I just wait, wait, wait. But let me, the her character is so. The book I have, one of the books I have about Kubrick is called The Cinema of Stanley Kubrick, and it's the third edition. So it's originally published, oh, it was published in 1972. Okay. And then it was, it was republished a few times. So I have one that was published in 2000, like just after Kubrick had died, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sherry's character is described in the book as uh, his, his big, brassy, trampish wife. <laughs> Basically, throughout, <laughs> throughout the book, she's described as a tramp and a slut. <laughs> just, this is, like, just, this, this is the, what the author has written, uh, Norman, the, Norman Kagan. There are, I mean, that's exactly what she is, by the way. Uh, <laughs> there are third and fourth wave feminists that would describe her as a hero, but I mean... <laughs> Come on, like we're not singing the singing praises of George either. George is a pathetic man. No. Uh, Val Cannon's a fucking hero, though, if you ask me. Uh, well, yeah, for 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 a time. Uh, we'll yeah, come to that. We'll come to that indeed. Okay, so uh, is that? I think that that gets us about everybody introduced. Well, no, no. The what about uh, the wrestler? Well, that this this comes later, you see. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Sorry, so you got your later. Yeah, because yeah. there's two wild cards. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, so he goes. So then we George basically brags to Sherry that he's gonna be rich, and they're all gonna be rich. And will you love me then, Sherry? Will you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I. It's very kind of like Jack Lemmon. Uh, that type. That. Oh, Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Yeah. No yeah, one yeah. plays pathetic like Jack Lemmon. Yeah. <laughs> no one. <laughs> So didn't they base old Gil and the Simpsons off of Yeah, that? exactly. Uh, exactly the same. Um, <laughs> just gonna try and get a cut in for old Gil. <laughs> um, yeah, so then George, George tells Sherry about this, who consequently tells uh, that hot piece of ass Val Cannon before getting some nice deep Val Cannon pipe for herself. Yum, yum. And then uh, George escapes across town uh, to, they, they want to go do the planning. For the heist, and that's when we hear it all broken down. George is even bullied by the guys. 
Uh, I think Mike O'Reilly hits him a couple of slaps. Oh yeah, once he once he gets rumbled. But just just when they're planning the heist, my my favorite part about that is that Johnny Clay is they're standing at a table and Johnny Clay's like drawing a hand drawn map, and it, if you look at it, it looks like a child has drawn it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it looks like it's like in crayon or something. Do you think anybody draws maps before doing things like that? Well, in nineteen in the nineteen fifties, yeah, you draw a hand drawn map. That's all you've got. But what else wh- are you do? I can't see how a map would be useful in that particular heist. Well, who's, would he not be? Who's what, using a map except for the policeman and uh, Johnny? What about um, George has to go to the door to to make sure and let him through the door into the back area? Yeah, but George works there. He doesn't need a he doesn't need a map. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You'd be like, hey, you know that place where you work? Just here, look at this map. You need to go through the corridor. It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I go through that door every day, like five times minimum. <laughs> so yeah, I don't like. I, I, it's there. It's there. It's there to facilitate the language of cinema. But I don't know how. Like, or maybe, or maybe you know, like Johnny needs to see that. Johnny has to. He has to tell himself. He's a visual like, this learner. This is how I remember. Yeah, I'm a visual learner. I need to see this. Okay, this all isn't, right. This isn't for you. I'm going to put this down. It's not for you guys. Don't worry about it. This is for me. Let's just talk about what we're going to do. Can you figure out what Marvin's job in the whole thing is? Because some of the boys have an issue with that. And I kind of... Is it just his idea? Did he plan it? Is that it? Is he not also providing money? I thought his... Marvin oh, yeah, yeah. That's funds. right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, he's, that's he's right. a backer. And then they say... He, uh, Johnny Clay says, you're as much a part of this as anyone else. Yeah, and I, I think love he, you. I think he also might want to plow Johnny Clay, yeah. to be honest. Um, which is all well and good, you know. God bless him. I hope he does. Um, and th- so then, from the planning stages, George gets bullied a bit. Why does George get bullied by Mike O'Reilly again? Isn't Mike, or- Mike O'Reilly's find- poor sick wife, by the way. I mean, is, isn't it? Is, isn't it because they find Sherry at the door? Isn't that why he immediately Sherry's at the door? Oh, they hear Sherry at the door. They hear yes, Sherry they're... at the door, and then you hear some. <laughs> Again, this is in my book. Like you uh, hear some slaps from outside. You hear a few rough slaps from outside the door, and then they bring they bring Sherry in. And then Sherry and then gets. Someone says to George, "Hey, hey, wise guy." Yeah, that's right. And Mike uh, hits him a few hits him a few digs. George thinks about pulling out, and then hold on. So then Johnny Clay. Has Sherry on on his own, I believe. Oh, and there's there's some there's a, uh, some classy. Uh, oh yeah, some great uh, some great film noir dialogue. You've got a dollar sign where there ought to be a heart. Um, yeah, instead of like a, a head on your shoulders, and he's like, "How about I put it on your shoulder?" So you know the way I was saying that Marvin is gay for Johnny Clay, but you know they'd show it in a 1950s way. Is that scene yeah. between Sherry and Johnny Clay like 1950s for he gets her to blow him? There's, there's some, I mean, because later on, I mean, later on she says that something happened, but you get the feeling that she's just lying. But he uh, does, he says something like he's, yeah, I'll, I'll just slap that. So this is what Johnny Clay, I'm reading this from my Kubrick book. Johnny Clay says, I'll just slap that pretty face into hamburger. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's quite a line. Yeah. But he says that to one of the male dudes. He doesn't say it. Yeah, to he her. says it. But he, no, no. But he, exactly. That's what. That's what seems more threatening. About exactly. It. Yeah. It seems he like he'll actually do it. To, like what? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like so, whatever happens there, he's he doesn't seem like a bad guy, Johnny Clay. 
But then you're putting them into situations where bad things are going to happen. Yeah, but, but Sean Connery sure. era James Bond wasn't a bad guy either, but he slapped plenty of women into Indeed. hamburger Indeed. meat. And that was and that was later than nineteen fifty six. Exactly. Well, that was like yeah, progressive in comparison to Johnny Clay. Um, I, I I mean, speaking of female characters, <laughs> Faye tells Johnny Clay, like, I need you, Johnny. I'm just old and ugly. <laughs> You're oh, yeah. This girl, like, Gorgeous. Talking about. Yeah. yeah, You're yeah. Like, she's like 33 or something. Oh, she's, I, she's all used up. Exactly. I like hot black and white girls. <laughs> I do. And she's hot. Uh, I don't think Sherry is. Uh, she's just too much of a cunt. <laughs> I guess. Just too much. Like, that's why, because that's, that's how you know Val Cannon's just basically dipping his fingers in as many pies to see which, any, which of them contain money. Because Val Cannon can get any bird he wants. Um, Sherry Petty just, just wants to feel valued and in strong hands or something like that. Um, Val Cannon, with those eyebrows, oof, forget yeah. about it. Val Cannon, hop his ass. So anyway, the plan is they're going to have these two wildcard boys. First, we meet the first wildcard boy, uh, Nicky Arain, in the best scene oh, of the Nicky. movie, in my opinion, because he's basically like, like Fenster from uh, Usual Suspects. Yeah. He's brilliant. He seems Flip actually them. dangerous. Flippy for real. He, he seems he's absolutely... His... Yeah, uh, because he, he's, he's clearly a psychopath. Yeah. He's absolutely a psychopath. He's, he's... But he's doing like 1950s what a psychopath would be. But it still feels really modern. Yeah. He's doing like a kind of really bizarre. He has like certain tics and he's just really disturbing. Yeah. I think a lot of that is helped by the fact that, okay, so you have, you watch a film like this. It's noir setting. I don't know how many noir films you watch, but so many of them were made on um, studios. Most of them were made on studios. Uh, I think the kind of faces that ended up in the movies with maybe the exception of Faye and George and Sherry and also the locations that they use just lended um, a sense of realness that ha- actually helps the film age much better than a lot of studio lot films. Like, for example, I love, I, I, I genuinely, absolutely adore the film Casablanca. I mean, I'm not uh, stepping on a line there. I hope I think Casablanca is good. But it's very, very clearly filmed on studio lots and not in the north of Africa. Um, mm. And there, you know, there's a charm to that essentially, uh, and it would be a completely different type of movie had they done it on lots. But something about when I normally when I watch a noir film, I hop into the noir universe uh, because it's on a lot. It's not real, and that's why the dialogue is all heightened, etc., etc., etc. There's a nice balance, and in the killing that has given it longevity in a way that I don't have to sit into the noir seat. I'm just watching a fucking movie. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of locations and, and casting. I, like, everywhere looks real. That scene, particularly that scene where Nicky Arain is introduced, that's just a, yeah. sh- a shithole backlot somewhere. It looks like it's beside an airport. Yeah, or some, some, some weird farm. Yeah, yeah, uh, with a little puppy dog and stuff. It's uh, really, really cool. And, yeah, um, Timothy Carey, uh, who played oh, how Nick, mu- how, Nicky Arain. How much, how much do you know about him? Have you read his bio? I did, yeah. Uh, His I'm, life is crazy. Yeah, he had a mad life. He did. I mean, he got fired from Paths of Glory because he faked his own he faked his own kidnapping to generate personal publicity. So Kubrick fired him. 
And then in like later on, Francis Francis Ford Coppola wanted to cast him as Luca Brazzi in The Godfather, but Carey turned it down so he could film a television pilot called Tweets Ladies of Pasadena, which was never <laughs> sold or broadcast. <sighs> and then, uh, according to Quentin Tarantino, Carey auditioned for the role of Joe Cabot in Reservoir Dogs. And he 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 didn't get the role, but the oh. screenplay the screenplay was dedicated to him. Oh, that was nice of him. Yep. Mm. And Carey's face is positioned behind George Harrison on the cover of the Beatles ad, uh, album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band." What? With the character from the Killing. What? Yeah. That's mad. I wonder whose choice that was. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I, did, I didn't know this film had made such a cultural impact. Because that, no. that was only nine years later. Yep, mad. Hmm. Fair played old uh, Timothy Carey. So yeah, he's... He, seemed, he, seemed, he seems great. I like the idea of Timothy Carey. I would actually like to see him in other stuff. I haven't noticed. I mean, he was in East of Eden, The Wild One. He's in One-Eyed Jacks. I remember him from One-Eyed, One-Eyed Jacks. Jacks. Yeah. Um, I don't remember him from anything. Um, well, I mean, God bless him. I say, uh, he's kind of, yeah. you know, he's landed a play. Like, sometimes there are just performances like that that are oddly iconic and they don't really need to do anything more, you know? Like um, little Lord Fauntleroy from Barry Lyndon, who ended up being oh, Kubrick's yeah. assistant. That's the part of yeah, a lifetime. Yeah. You know what I mean? Leon. Uh, or, the, or what's the name of the fellow who plays um, Mozart in uh, uh, Amadeus? Oh, God. Amadeus, one second. I can't think of the actor's name at all because he did literally nothing else, did he? I don't think so, no. Uh, Tom Hultz. I don't know how to pronounce it. H-U-L-C-E. Tom Hulz. Well, never did anything else and didn't need to. Never did he anything did, he didn't again. Do, he didn't do anything of uh, much note. He really did not. He was also in Animal House, though, before Amadeus. I can't recall him from that. The last thing that he did, according to Wikipedia, was uh, the 2008 film Jumper, the Doug Lyman film with Hayden Christensen. Wow, <laughs> that's in that. That's a uniquely terrible film. I don't mind it, but let's let's not get sidetracked. No, let's not get Jumper. sidetracked. Let's get back to uh, <laughs> let's get back to Nicky Arane over here. Nicky yeah. Arane and his introduction with the puppy dog. It's got one of the uh, cooler lines. Well, a line that I I quite liked in the movie. He says. Uh, Johnny Clay said, you'd be killing a horse. That's not first-degree murder. In fact, that's not murder at all. I don't know what <laughs> it is. I don't know what that is. Kill a horse? It's nothing. Yeah, I thought that was gas. Uh, it's, an inter- like, it's an interesting uh, point in the story as well, because, I don't know, with heist movies, <laughs> you're, used horse. To, you're used to more slickness than this, but they're going to kill a horse. That's mad. I don't know. I... I, I I like. I actually also think the the heist in this sounds doable. Like the heist in. Yeah, o- I, I could. I could do this one, but I don't know if they need all the people for this heist, even. Um, I neither do I. I haven't put give it, give it <laughs> yeah. that, that that much thought. But like the the heist in the oceans movies might as well be science fiction. Um, yeah, that's just... way too much going on. They need to get past lasers. There were no lasers in this. No, there weren't. It's chucking a bag out a window. Good old fashioned heist <laughs> yeah. work. Love it's it. not so much a heist as just like hey, just walking into walking into somewhere and grabbing a bag. But yeah, he did. So he did n- stick him up. So Nikki Arane is a wildcard number one as the horse murderer, um, and then we've got wildcard number two 
Uh, big hair. <laughs> big hairy. The bear Jew. <laughs> Big hairy back bear Morris, uh, Maurice or or whatever, played by His actual Russian Kola, wrestler Kola Kwariani. He's played played by Kola Kwariani, who is an actual wrestler. Um, and uh, uh, Johnny Clay is his chess mate, and his job is to start a commotion in the bar of the um, the station and uh, distract everybody. Hilarious, a hilarious, hilarious fight. We can jump right into that because I think we've kind of done with the setup. Yeah. And when we get to that, okay, because we'll get to the, this, what I'm about to say as well, because the film does get quite violent. Uh, shockingly so oh, for the yeah, film of its time. Yeah, But the first for the scene of violence is basically a Three man Stooges on man bit. Man on, man on many men action. Hairy it's a, man. It's Large a Three Stooges man. or Laurel and Hardy bit. It's he, ga- they do a bit of spinning around, like a whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. whoa, like he's spinning people around. His shirt gets ripped Police off officers. in two parts. I feel like he rips it off himself. Um, does he? <laughs> it might get slightly ripped and then he tears it off like he's, you know, he's a full-on wrestler. He's like, let's do this. Yeah. He already, yeah. I mean, he has, he has another shirt underneath made, made of his own body hair. It's not like <laughs> yeah. he, needs, he doesn't need to wear a T-shirt. Yeah. This guy is exceptionally hairy. Do you need to hear that guy's accent to know he's Russian? What a tank of a man. <laughs> what a tank of a man. Um, and I'm yeah, looking so at he, images of him now. Oof, yeah. He does his, uh, his um, Three Stooges fight routine in the lobby of the train station, um, which is genuinely, is, okay, it's not quite from a completely different film, but it almost is. It's, it's, when it's, did- it's a mad little scene. When I was watching it, the question occurred to me was that uh, I was thinking, like, when did fights stop being absolutely hilarious? Like, when did film fights look a bit more realistic and violent? After 9-11. I have no idea. Jason Bourne. I think so. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I mean, actually, <laughs> I to mean, be honest, I assume it was like the 70s when there was a darker... To be honest, you know, we're going to watch... We're going to be talking about Point Blank in a while. Yeah. And the fight well, scenes in that are... I have more to say about that as well. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, so then we've got a big, goofy, silly fight scene, uh, at, at which point Johnny Clay uh, pops up the stairs, um, gets a gun from George's locker, is it? Or is it the bartender's locker? It's the, bart- the, uh, it's the other guy. It's yeah, the yeah, yeah, it's, it's from Michael Riley's locker. Uh, gets a gun and pops into the, the, the money room packs up a big a big old bag. I, I really like one thing he does. really like the way he tells the guys to get behind the door and says, on the count of 10, I'm going to fire the gun I'm at the door. I'm going to start shooting. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's like, okay, even those guys are probably thinking, I mean, he's not going to, but I'm not going to fucking risk it. So, yeah. So, perfect. Clean getaway. Chucks it out to the cop. It's a tidy bit of heist work, I, I, I yeah. say. I say it is a tidy bit of heist work. Um, and then everything gets fucked by Val Cannon. The the cannon. So everyone else, apart from Johnny Clay, has basically met together in someone's apartment, wherever the the place that they set aside is the the post-heist meetup spot. So all the other guys who are in on the heist are all there, and then Big Valley Cannons bursts through the door. With a shotgun and a mate. Yep. 
and just uh, then... he, he wants all the money. But then he makes a he makes a denoting reference to George, and George is having none of that shit. You might plow my hey, wife, Georgie. but you will not drag my name through the mud. I, uh, I will be a cuck no more, sir. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, this very similar to a scene in another film that I, I can't quite think of. Oh yeah, I, what it reminded me instantly of was um, Bo- uh, Boogie Nights. Mm. You know when With, uh, uh, William, William H. H. Macy. Macy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When uh, William H. Macy just says, "All right, cook no more. I'm going to ruin everybody's party." <laughs> he says, uh, "Don't don't say that about my wife. She's currently serving time in prison." I'm speaking about the real William H. Macy there, another character. Is his wife? Stir- oh, is his? She got. She got. She got done for the whole. Uh, yeah, paying that's... for academic uh, favors. Yeah, she cheated on SATs or something, didn't she? Well, it's for the for their children, I believe. Yeah. Um, God, what a silly old sausage! It, it, the, the lady from Desperate Housewives. I forget Felicity her actual name. Huffman. Felicity. Oh yeah, Norm Macdonald was mad on a free Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag war for months on Twitter. It was very funny, actually. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, yeah, George, but uh, everybody in the room ends up getting killed except poor old George. Although he does take quite a lot of uh, shotgun pellets to the face. He, he looks does. like he's bleeding. There's blood everywhere. Yeah. For, for a 1950s film. There's a, for 1956, film. a lot of yeah. 1956 blood. Honestly, I watched recently a film that's repu- like reputed uh, for its nastiness, um, Touch of Evil. And mm. there's a scene in it where somebody gets stabbed and they just do the 1950s stabbed, stabbed. And there is gra- no knife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there, and it, there's basically he just grabs his stomach and that's it. Yeah. This, like, after the shootout, which you don't see any of the gun action for good reason, probably it's 1950s, but uh, like, as in they probably couldn't have done it. In front. <laughs> some of this, yeah, some of the shooting is a bit, it's very 1950s of the pew. Like well, yeah. you just fire a gun randomly, kind of in someone's direction, and then that person just acts. Like, you see, oh, I always think about that. Got me. Basically, I think that that kind of thing worked for audiences of the day. That's it. Yeah, they understood. Exactly. Like they, but also they like they hadn't their expectations built up in such a way. For example, war films after Saving Private Ryan had to mm. be had to up the ante to that, or they could just fuck off home. Um, so films will come along to up the ante with with violence and with with sound effects regarding guns and uh, I reckon yeah that that's all that's happened here because I would say that the aftermath of that scene certainly like all the dead bodies and the blood everywhere (laughs) yeah dead bodies face down on the floor but with blood you never see blood in films of that era yeah 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 Um, which was the like the thing also it must have been easier because it wouldn't even have had to have been red (laughs) yeah this is blood. Um, yeah, uh, and then yeah, everybody's dead except George, who's wounded horribly. Uh, and then George goes back to his own apartment and kills his, his bitch wife, Sherry. And Sherry actually has a, a great kiss-off line now until I try and remember it. Uh, she's, uh, like, I never even got to have a man or something. Oh, God. I, 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 like, basically, she's just bemoaning her own sad existence. I have yeah. it here. It's pretty It isn't fair. I never had anybody but you. Not a real husband, not even a man. Just a bad joke without a punchline. That's pretty hard. I mean, that's I mean, obviously the fact that she's been murdered isn't great. But mm. she did get Val. She did. She got. She got Val Cannon. 
yeah. you get involved with Valkanen. And everyone wants a bit of Valkanen. I want a bit of Valkanen. Yeah. I want this so... movie told from his perspective with him winning. <laughs> him and... just getting murdered for no reason. I want like all sorts of different perspectives. I want to see the version in this movie where the heist is successful. George gets all the money and then just fucking tells well, Sherry, tells Sherry could, to go take a hike. I think we could I mean, that we could we could understand or we can come to why that doesn't happen. Maybe let's finish off the story first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so then, basically, yeah, Johnny Clay sees George stumbling out. Uh, he re- he relieves. Him, uh, no, he doesn't deliver the sack of cash in the end. Um, because, does he have the sack of cash? I forget what happens then. Johnny, Johnny Clay has it, so Johnny Clay has the cash, but how mm. does he get it? Because the, the police officer took it. Where did oh, the police officer left it? Where did the police officer leave it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm confused on that point. Now he that stashed, I think about oh, it. no, he's he remember he stashed it back at that little house that Johnny Clay was renting. That's right, that's right, that's right. So Johnny Clay goes back there, picks up the cash. The cash monies. So and yes. does he then does does he buy the suitcase first or no? Because he no he, he buys it afterwards because that's when I, your be, your best friend the narrator um, announces mm. that um, what does he say? Oh yeah yeah basically that they had a rule that if it looked like it was in right. uh, stuff was in trouble that he uh, Johnny would keep the money and and when you tr- see when you see George Petey stumbling across the road with blood on his face it's a pretty good bet that you should take off. And he exactly. Does. Yeah, yeah. He does leave. Indeed, yeah. Um, and then Johnny Clay goes to get the suitcase. Mm-hmm. He buys the buys shittiest suitcase. suitcase you could ever find. Yeah, bad it time looks, to go. Looks cheap. like the locks don't work properly. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's literally there's a that they show that for a reason. Yeah, the locks don't work properly. Yeah. Um, bad time to go to the to the bazaar there, uh, Johnny Clay. If I may say so myself, I would have gone straight to the Samsonite store. And bought the best Samsonite luggage available. Just saying. Uh, yeah, then he gets to the airport, meets Bay. Uh, there's a woman with a dog who's straight out of a Hitchcock movie. Nine. Yeah. Uh, and Johnny is going to be forced to put the bag under the plane, which really made me relate to him an awful lot more. I've been in that situation a lot myself. Um, but my bag was. Carrying be- $2 million. Uh, worth of clothes. stolen currency worth yeah. of clothes and uh yeah then uh, the old lady's annoying silly little dog knocks the the luggage off the, tr- the, uh, the yeah, luggage the, train the, the luggage truck thing exactly and then the money goes everywhere and what's a fantastic shot the money flying around in the wind oh yeah in the, in the runway or the concourse area oh it's beautiful what a shot it's great um and then yeah and then johnny cash is like ah shit yeah, he's Johnny, just Johnny Clay, not Johnny Cash. <laughs> Johnny Clay is like, oh, no. And then, yeah, then you've got that. Oh, that's, that's his moment. Um, Sterling, Sterling Hayden, was it? Yeah, that's yeah. his best moment in the movie. Because the way he walked towards... Oh, no. He, the way he walks towards uh, the door when that happens is, like, is just... It's, like, have you ever just been so defeated that what's the... <laughs> Fucking point. Well, that's what. As would you mean at the very end, like well, when when the, Faye's the trying two... to drag him away, the way he walks, yeah, he's just yeah. there's no life in him. He's just what and the hell. The guy. So they find out the the person who was at the check in desk sees what happens, or get he gets told what happens, and then he goes and finds two undercover plain clothes, plain clothes cops, 
and then they go outside the airport to to get, to speak to Johnny Clay. They're basically already drawing their guns. But Johnny yeah. Clay basically is like, what's the point? <laughs> he says something like that. He's like, well, who cares? I'm not running away. Maybe Kubrick would have seen a point if they'd just dropped another 100,000 and we could have had a car chase, which would have been awesome. Well, but, so yeah, I like that ending. I like just oh, as, it's a great the, ending. As, the, as the two cops are closing in, it's already, they're starting to play the credits over the top. Mm. Oh, it's a great they're, ending. They're, they're, okay, but this, like, this comes back to you know whether johnny clay could have got away with it or not i mean first of all this is based on a book clean break by lionel white and i assume has which i assume has a similar ending but uh in this kubrick book that i was reading uh the cinema of stanley kubrick um it talks about how like kubrick said at the end of the story the bad guys are always caught so you want to try to trick the audience into thinking that they're going to get away. Mm. But ultimately what happens at the end of these stories is that the bad guys are the bad guys get caught. Which just made me think like wow, this is really of its time because it's almost shocking that they get caught. It's more shocking to me as a modern viewer that Johnny Clay gets caught. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know have I seen more heist movies where they get away with it or when they don't. All I can think of I would, is... Nowadays, modern times, they, they normally get away with it. Well, okay, so the Oceans movies go on. For example, I can't think of any other examples, but I, I feel like usually it's not unusual to have a criminal as your protagonist that you care for and they get away with their, their crime if it's theft and the audience is like, yay, they did it. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. I don't have any examples. No, that, Google it, it, heist that films. Clear. But I mean, I've got it like this is like this is Inside Man. Oh yeah, they get away with an Inside Man, uh, but, they, they, but there's Nazis. The, there's the Nazis town? there. Do they get away with the town? Oh yeah, they do get away yeah, with the town. Yeah, like gets away in the town. Yeah, that's right. Um, hmm. Baby Driver, no. Yeah, and actually, Edgar Wright has said that that ending is a fantasy. Right. Of him getting out, he doesn't get out. Uh, the Sting. This doesn't really count, I guess. That's also not modern, but no. Nah, the the I'll, score. I'll... The score. Remember that one? Oh, I do. I didn't. I hate the uh, score. I know a lot of people who hated the score. What I about what it. about uh, Heist as well? Even even Heist. Also, David Mamet. The Mamet. Yeah, the yeah, David yeah. Mamet. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Point made. Uh, people generally get away with it um, these days. Uh, but I don't know. This yeah, this seems like like what's the point in a heist movie if they get away with it? Because you're not sure if they're going to get away with it, and then there's a moment where they're like, "Oh no, they're caught," and then they're like, "Ah, but wait, there was this other part." And of the John plan Holmes, that you just, didn't know, just pops in the like, yeah, they're all caught, and John Holmes just goes boom, ba doom, boom, boom. But you know just... that you know. I mean, I've, I've, I can't remember who. I've, maybe it was uh, Dan, Dan Harmon or someone I saw talking mm. about this in a in a heist film. If they explain the heist, then that part will will go wrong or won't happen. If they don't yeah, explain yeah, that sure. part of the heist, then that part's going to be successful and they're going to get away with it. Yeah, I mean yeah, that's, that's like filmically that's how you show a heist. It's like if you explain the plan, then it doesn't work. You, it that's it's going to fail. The plan mm. isn't going to work if they explain it. 
because otherwise, what's the point in explaining it? They'll just show you it happening. Have you seen the... Um, it's, ba- it's basically this side of the Atlantic counterpart to the killing. Have you ever seen The League of Gentlemen? Not the British TV show. <laughs> I, no. I'm, I, immediately, I'm thinking of uh, the, people in a local shop. <laughs> yeah, no, not that. Um, no, um, it's a, a British... It's basically this movie, but polite. I suppose is how you could. I'm, I'm not not sure. It's it's a World War Two veterans that get together uh, okay. for a heist, and they're all just gentlemen. Man, I love gentlemen in British movies. Just people who are like, uh, oh, good show, old boy, and that kind of stuff. I could watch that shit all day. Cunts like, <laughs> cunts like in the killing though. They're all just miscreants. All those Americans. Vulgar. Well, that I, I, and that's that's another point about this about why they fail is. Uh, the characters are all losers. That's the point about these characters is they're all absolute losers. Mm. So even like Johnny Clay just got out. He's been in jail for five years and he just got out. So things haven't been going well for him. Obviously, George is a cuck, as we've talked about. I mean, Val um, Cannon is a winner, but not here. He's, 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 he's not part of the, he's not part of their plan. He's, he's an, he's an outsider. But all the people who are in on the plan are basically losers. So it was yeah. never going to work out. That, that's the whole point of, of it was they, they were doomed to failure. I think the reason that they ultimately failed was because Nikki Arane drops an N-bomb. Oh, yeah, God, I can't believe that was shocking. Black it's so and funny white because... N-bomb. Have you ever seen a black yeah, and white N-bomb? No. I've never. I have never. Because, so, yeah, so Nikki's at the track, at the racetrack, and it, in the world's smallest sports car. <laughs> tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny little sports car that he can put down the windscreen of. So he drives to the track, and then the parking attendant is this uh, young, young black gentleman who has served in the war. Also, so they're they're both uh, military vets who've served in World in World War Two, and they're getting on really well because Nikki's being nice. So then the the the, the young black guy is really really friendly with him and gives him his lucky horseshoe. Oh and yeah, then <laughs> Nikki drops the M bomb. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it is, it's explosive. It's very powerful. And actually, and, that, and the guy, the guy reacts like, oh. "Yes, absolutely." But the the uh, the the young parking attendant is just like, "I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it." That's his reaction. He's like, "Yep, I knew it was too good to be true." Yeah, <laughs> and to be fair, all right, Nikki Arane, you're not exactly white. I think you might fall under. I mean, like, who are you to be calling? <laughs> Looks like Nick DiPaolo. I don't know though. I think the I think the thing about him is I think he, he was probably on any other day he would have started with the N word. That's how he would have started his interaction. He didn't look like the most racially sensitive guy in the film. You're you're absolutely right. Actually, yeah. It's 1956. What, what this guy was brutal. <laughs> Yeah, I would have just run him over probably. But then all all the stuff in the because so yeah so the 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 horseshoe that the the guy gives him is what uh, punctures his tire when he's mm. trying to drive off, and it's very similar to the little yappy dog uh, knocking the suitcase of cash off of the off the baggage trolley. It's all these little things. It's like some there's a chain reaction of minor events leading to tragedy. Yeah, it's the like yeah, the basically the strategy Fate is is ultimately thing. incomplete and that's what has it fall apart anyway. Mm. 
Um, yeah, you can see this film's uh, influence in loads of places as well. Well, uh, Quentin Tarantino, I think, is he does one of the audio commentaries on the DVD, and he said it was a big influence on Reservoir Dogs, which is not oh, a surprise. Yeah. No, no, you can see because that. when they're when they're doing the heist planning point, they're like, you know, they they're asking one character asks the asks the name of um, like either who whoever's going to be the the horse shooter or the or the wrestler. And I think uh, Johnny Clay says, you don't need to know their names. None of your business. None of your goddamn yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, actually, as well, um, I think this film must have had a massive influence on William H. Macy's acting coach. Why? Who do you think he wants? He's just, like, basically, he is I think Sterling, he's, Sterling I think, Hayden. Or do you mean he's uh, George? I think he's George in, in a just, lot of does, movies. He does George Petey. Yeah, yeah, in like certainly in Boogie Nights, Magnolia and Fargo. Magnolia, yes, he's a hundred percent that character. Just a just Fargo, yeah, he's Fargo, of course, he's that too. This kind of down downtrodden oh, husband ju- who's yeah, like, like there's there's characters that are downtrodden that you can feel sorry for, and then there's just pathetic cowards that you just yeah. hate. Because they remind you you're the same species as them. <laughs> uh, and he, yeah, William H. Macy specializes in that fucking shit. Uh, anyway, loved the killing. Have you got any more comments on that? I have no more, nothing more to say on the killing. That's it. No, oh. it's, uh, as I don't watch a lot of black and white films, I'll be honest. And because I'd previously commented on the fact that I didn't need to watch this because it was black and white. Yes, you did. And uh, yeah, I got schooled. It it was uh it's way better than Tenet. <laughs> it's fucking way it's better. It's a much than better film. It's a much better film than Tenet, and I would rather rewatch The Killing than watch Tenet again. That's a victory for the for the old B and Ws, huh? Yeah, uh, that's crazy. It, it felt really modern for me. It was uh, not as good as I remember it being, but still pretty terrific. And, but the, and actually, the the thing that would have bugged me, the only thing that bugged me, was actually the thing you loved. The narration bugged me. I mean, it, it it seals it in its time and place. It feels very. 1950s. Also, if you think about it, there's no way it would have worked without the narration. No way. Yeah, I guess we kind of need to be told what's going on at times. Well, I mean, although how well, the, like, Kubrick <laughs> Kubrick does show the same scenes of horse racing three times or so throughout. Yes, so he we does. Know where it is? We know what day it was. It was the day with the horses. Great. Okay, so let's. Uh, why don't you talk us into Point Blank there? Okay, so yeah, moving on. The second film of the coin toss double header. So this was the companion piece. I chose The Killing, and you selected 1967 film Point Blank, American crime film directed by John Boorman, starring Lee Marvin, uh, co-starring Angie Dickinson, Keenan Wynn, and Carol O'Connor. It's adapted from the 1963 crime noir pulp novel The Hunter by Donald E. Westlake. And uh, Berman directed the film at Marvin's request. So Lee, Lee Marvin requested uh, John Berman. Oh, yeah. Do you know that whole story? I also have a... I was reading a bit of a, of, of, of a John Berman book also. And at this point in his career, Lee Marvin could more or less do what he wanted. Yeah. And uh, he brought in John Borman because he wanted that kind of European sensibility, which uh, plays throughout. So going back to the, well, so the plot, basically, Lee Marvin stars as Walker, uh, who is 
working with his friend Mal Reese to rob a major crime operation. They ambush a courier on uh, Alcatraz, on the deserted Alcatraz. While they're counting the money, Reese shoots Walker, leaving him for dead. And Reese takes off with Walker's wife, Lynn. And basically, the rest of the film is Walker seeking revenge on the people who work for the crime operation uh, who ripped him off as he tries to get back his $93,000. So Uh, he's wreaking havoc across California, both San Francisco and L.A. Or is he? uh, As he tries to get his money back. Well, all of these things definitely happened because I saw them with my eyes, and therefore they happened. There wasn't a narrator telling me, though. No. Which that that was the only problem. That's the only thing that I can't trust. A narrator didn't tell me exactly. Well, uh, so basically, the film, inv- uh, so the film invites you to speculate everything. Yes, uh, it's pretty much the way they made it. Uh, so uh, I sh- we should come back to that at the end, probably. Yeah. Um, well, or do you want to start with just general opinions and viewpoints, or well, should we go back to the plot? I'll tell you. I was almost mad I hadn't seen this before because I'm going to watch this a bunch of times. I fucking loved it. Um, yeah, wow. That is, just blew me away. Um, so I was just going to say, just, to, get, just to, to ground this, the Walker character is based on a series of books uh, by Donald Westlake, uh, who was writing as, uh, using a pseudonym Richard Stark. He wrote a series of novels featuring a character called Parker. So the main character in the in the novels is actually called uh, Parker. In Point Blank, they changed the name to to Walker. But there have been around seven or eight films featuring this character. So this Parker or Walker character, or he they've given him he's had uh, various other names in other films. He's been played by uh, Robert Duvall. Uh, Jim Brown, Jason Statham, and Big Melly, Melly Mel Gibson uh, have all played this same character who's been played by Lee Marvin in Point Blank. Oh. So the first time I saw this character, I originally, I think I saw Payback, the 1999 uh, Brian Helgeland film, which is a remake of the same novel. Can I, uh, can I pop in with an anecdote here? Please, fire away. You might have heard it, but uh, I, yeah, in, like, after this, I listened to a big, long interview with John Borman. And um, what basically happened was Borman was working as a production assistant of some sort on The Dirty Dozen. He became friendly with Lee Marvin, ah. and uh, they bounced around ideas uh, about, about the script. Lee Marvin gave him the script to read. And uh, he, having read the book, they could both agree that the, they loved the character of Walker, but that the script was absolute dog shit. So, yeah, Lee Marvin walked into the executive offices or whatever studio was planned on producing Point Blank and said, so you're telling me I've got complete control and final cut of the picture? And uh, they said yes. And he says, well, I defer all of that to John Borman. He said, big, to be Johnny Burrs. Yeah, they said that in the room with them. And then reportedly they chucked uh, the, the original script out the window, literally. And um, what, uh, years later... Mel Gibson, kind of as a courtesy, but he would have been friends with John Borman as well, sent John Borman a script for Payback, said, we're going to remake Point Break. And uh, John Borman... Point, had, point, point blank. Point blank, sorry. 
John, John Borman has many times joked that uh, maybe a young Mel Gibson was passing underneath the window that day because he thought the script was <laughs> he accidentally caught. He caught the shite script. Yeah, exactly. He thought he thought it was almost identical to the shite script that he had originally. He read. was like, "Hey, he caught this script with which is full of like '90s dialogue. That's amazing." He's, uh, they threw out they threw out a '90s dialogue heavy <laughs> script in 1967. I've never seen uh, Payback. Is it terrible? Pay, the trailer for Payback um, features uh, the song uh, Walking on the Sun by Smash Mouth. That's probably, that tells you enough. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a excellent. very Smash Mouth. It's very Smash Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like Rat Race, Shrek, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. It's similar to Shrek. It's a similar telling of the, it's telling the Shrek story, but featuring Mel Gibson. It's 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 similar except it's it's a lot lighter as you can probably guess. It's a mu- the tone is much lighter. It's more like you're getting revenge on these people is like, hey, it's funny. I remember seeing uh-huh. clips of Payback and even as like probably a less discerning film watcher thinking to myself, this looks fucking terrible. Uh is it is it all, really all that bad? Have you watched uh, many of his other films, Brian Helgeland? Because it's very much the same tone as uh, Knight's Tale. Oh, I love A Knight's Tale. It's, it's, it's that same tone. It's so it, quite jokey, jokey jokes. So it's, it's fun. It's not serious at all. It's fun. It is a fun film. Ah, it's so definitely a fun film. It's usually... It, the, the clips I saw always made it look quite serious. No, it's not serious at all. Hence the smash mouth in the trailer. Huh, okay. You might as well be walking on the sun. Okay, fair enough. Maybe I'll get around it's, to it someday. Should I yeah, get around to I it? Probably, I don't want it to be part of this film-watching experience on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, you should watch it if you have free time. <laughs> Maybe I'll get around to I, it. I don't, I, don't have the, I don't feel the need to see it, but yeah. Point blank, though. Again. Yeah, point blank, I loved, man. Um... Um, and this was so this was your first time watching it. Yes, it was. Uh, I must have. I watched this maybe not long after I saw Payback, like probably early two thousands. I think I had a VHS of this back in the day, so I haven't seen it since then. Well, it's terrific and trippy as hell. Um, mm, so it's it gets, very very trippy. It's very sixties. Well, late sixties. There's one shot that sticks in my head which is one that makes me think maybe it's all just none of this actually happened. Uh, when he's escaping from escaping from Alcatraz, when he's leaving Alcatraz, there's no escaping to be done. It he's, shows swimming, him, he's swimming no, away. When he's no. paused on top of a barbed wire fence. Just, oh, yeah, that's right. He's just chilling on top just of, chilling he's like like on like the he's top not of a barbed wire fence. And he's not, he's not got shredding it, his balls. Yeah, he's not got it grabbed like so he might shield from the razors. No, he's, he's just sitting there. Just yeah, he, he's leaning his fence, arm like, and dick and balls on the, on the barbed wire, yeah. um, which is mad. Yeah, and then... Welcome uh, to Alcatraz. It, instantly from the off, um, it made me... It reminded me an awful lot of The Limey. You know the Steven Soderbergh movie? Yeah, okay, so yeah, so Soderbergh loves this as well. Soderbergh oh, that is makes a, that's a lot, exact, that makes I, a lot I, of sense. I, I have that... I have that written down as well. I really like the limey for for oh, for yeah. how it's cut. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's a great movie. And, and th- so this is done yeah. very similarly. Yeah, it is very very similar. So you can see that that the limey is almost is like a, a, a tribute band to Point Blank. I would go as yeah, far as to say. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, um, you have a great gray haired man running around trying to get revenge. I don't know why. There's just something that I. 
enjoyed so much about Point Blank because it's got this, this young fella, John Borman, who's been given this big chance and he's clearly not jaded or anything by, and he seems to, it looks like he made exactly the film he wanted. It looked like he was enthusiastic to use new techniques, but still adapt the book well and so forth. And it's basically like some sort of a hybrid between an American 70s movie and a French New Wave film. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it just works spectacularly um, in every sense, except for one part. But do you want to start going through the chronology and maybe we'll get to that? Okay, so after, so after the, 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 the star of the film where Walker is shot and left for dead, uh, Mal, Mal Reese, Mal takes off with Lynn. So Walker recovers after Walker has uh, escaped from Alcatraz Island. He's on a boat where over the loudspeaker, over the kind of tannoy thing on the boat, there's a, a lady doing the tour who's stating that no one has ever escaped from Alcatraz. Cut and to then, Walker escaping yeah, from Alcatraz. Walker's escaping, so, which again is, could be read as like, ah, did he really escape though? Um, but anyway, so Walker's on the boat. He meets this mysterious man calling himself Yost. Yes. Uh, who says that he will support Walker in his attempt to fight the crime syndicate called the Organization, who have his half of the, the heist money, the 93, 93 large. And then Walker travels down to Los Angeles to visit his, uh, his wife, Lynn. Lynn! And... Uh, <laughs> He busts into a room, uh, the bedroom that he expects to find Reese in, and fires multiple shots into an empty bed. Yeah. I can't quite and, figure uh, out what happened in that. This is a, it, like, I don't have a problem with that. But So what happened in that scene? Cause it, time, so how much time has passed? Because he has recovered. It, it suggests to me that like in the period of when he's uh swimming away from Alcatraz to when he's back there on the boat with Yost, the period that's passed, you, you can you don't really know how long it is, but I'm guessing it's a while. Yeah, well he's had, yeah, like months. He's, and he's he's going for a, a tour of Alcatraz Island for the benefit of us to to <laughs> There's no reason he's for that to, to happen other other than the the movie like that. <laughs> why is he? Why is he doing the best that place tour? To meet someone yeah, has he chosen to meet Yost, or has Yost just turned up? I think Yost, Yost. Yost reminded me of. Um, Do you ever play the video game Half Life? No. Yes, but a long, long time ago, and not There's enough a, that. There's a mysterious man in blue that seems to follow okay. you around. Um, that's, it, it reminded me of that. He's just a, a suit that pops up in place. Hallucination. Mm. But no, when he gets to Lynn, does that actually happen? I was like confused in a good way, but like. Yeah, he bursts open the door, grabs her, grabs her, and then he slams into the bedroom. Um, empties his gun into the bed and then was like oh wait probably should have checked there's no one there and then she kills then herself. then it gets weird. she kills herself she overdoses and there's a lot of weird like trippy editing going on of him yeah did like, it happen at all drops a bunch of stuff he drops some kind of uh like aftershave looking type bottles in the in the bathroom mm. and then it, there's a scene later so after she's dead it suggests that like he's been there for a while he picks up he picks up one of these uh, bottles and then drops it with the other ones, and then he's like tripping. I don't know what's going on there. That's there's some really really surrealist stuff going on. Oh yeah, in and the middle of that. Speaking of the trippiness, uh, because it'll be brought up again, we must get back to um, 
the party that is flashed to when Reese originally asks Walker for oh, help. Oh yeah, there's some there's some quality man man grappling, man on man grappling. But uh, like then the they they just yeah they drop down and they're at everybody's legs on the floor, screaming in each other's face. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's so weird. It's something just so. It's just it's it's unsettling again. It's it's yeah no it is it's completely mad and then like once you, the first time they returned to that that's when I kind of began to get in on the rhythm of the film because yeah it it uses a number of visual motifs be it like returning to that through other people's speech because it reminds Walker of what Reese said to him that time. And then colors. They always, are used they always, they always go back. They always go back to Walker lying in the jail cell, looking up at the ceiling. Yeah. After he's been shot. Which again would see suggesting the... that maybe he's dying. Exactly. But anyway, then he leaves his, uh, in my opinion, uglier of the two sisters' wife. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Lynn is Lynn is the is unfortunately she's nowhere near as good as. Uh, as Angie the Dickinson's Chris. Angie Dickinson, Chris. Indeed. Oh, yeah. Well, Angie Dickinson is, <clears throat> I mean, she's just lady of that era, hot. Trampish. She, she's trampish. She is trampish. <laughs> yeah, she's a bit of a, a little hussy. Um, she's also a hussy. In, Definitely can't say that. In Rio, Rio Bravo. Uh, she's a similar type of lady. Um, she's just hot, man. Love, uh, <laughs> love me some Angie Dickinson. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, Walker catches up with old Angie. Walker catches Walker catches up with Chris. Mm-hmm. Is that where we are? Well, yeah, okay, yeah. you've missed out. First of all, he's uh, he goes to Stegman. <clears throat> so oh yeah, he that's find, a great he gets the team. information. So first, he's with he when he's with Lynn. Uh, just before Lynn kills herself, she says the money comes every month. I believe there's a thousand dollars is delivered. So after Lynn is dead, Walker's in the house and uh, a young gentleman arrives and uh, brings the $1,000 and uh, Walker gets the information out of him that there's a car dealer, Stegman. So he has to go and find uh, Stegman. So he goes to the car dealership and when he arrives, there's another car, a car, car salesman is talking to a young, a young lady and Stegman is paying no attention to Walker. He's just yeah. staring at this young woman. He's just looking day. at her going, I'm going to use my power and influence to plow her later. I'd uh, love to have sex with her. <laughs> yeah. That's a quite a dated se- sequence, I gotta I got say. That's just not happening nowadays, that scene making it into a movie. No <laughs> yeah. way. Particularly the casting of that particular lady. Like It's yeah. like John Borman just called an agency going, yeah, I need a blonde tits. Can you send yeah. me a blonde tits, please? Uh, I'm sure she's a, a lovely young lady. I'm sure she is and was. Do you think she's dead? Probably that going back to the killing for one second is really depressing to watch a film where every single person is dead in it. <laughs> You're watching a film going probably everyone who more or less everyone who worked on it, every actor is dead. Yeah, that's probably it's true. like this is this is they're all dead. At least some people are still alive from point blank, including John John Berman. I'm not sure. No, if, John uh, Berman's dead. Is Berman dead? No, he's yeah, he, di- he is dead. Johnny, he died Burs. La- Johnny Burrs is dead. He died last year. Let's have a look. He um, is still alive. He is still alive. I, I'm, I apologize, John Borman. He's 87. He's 87. Um, he's still alive. Maybe he's retired. Uh, why was he in the news then? I don't know. Who cares? Um, he, but he married his third wife this year, apparently. 
Get in. Yep, he's living the dream. Yeah, boy, Johnny Boers. Uh, yeah, this, it, like, God damn it, I need to catch up on all his films. I love this so much. Um, um, so after, so mm-hmm. yeah, so then he goes in a, uh, Stegman takes him in a, to, on a test drive of a, a nice car. Mm-hmm. And then almost immediately Walker reveals who, who he is and that he's looking for Reese and the organization. And he whips and then, out the, the, the full Marvin. Yeah, he drives uh he drives Stegman uh under a bridge and then starts going for like uh, going forward and reversing into pillars. It doesn't look that terrorizing, but then again, I guess like a nineteen sixties car is probably pretty rough. There's not a lot of well, also, suspension or crumple zones in these things. Also what you're dealing with is like to quote Eddie Murphy on this one, he Lee Marvin, he don't look like he can fight. He looked like he can whoop some ass. Like, he just looks like a tough son of a bitch. <clears throat> I was thinking, I mean, the first time I saw this film, um, I was a lot younger. And when I saw uh, Lee Marvin, I kind of looked at him like, is this guy hard? Really? Never, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably because of his gray hair. I was like, eh, I don't know. But now, even even now when I see it, some of the fighting, I mean... The fighting still looks a bit silly to me. Really? Uh, yeah, but going back and looking at Lee, Marv- Lee Marvin's war war record, his second world war record is pretty solid. Yeah, he got Purple Heart. He got shot multiple times. He got hit by uh, machine gun fire, and he got shot by a sniper in the foot. Where was he? Was so, he in, in the Pacific or Europe? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was in the Battle of Saipan. Oh, fair he enough. got wounded in 1944. That one and with... got a, med- a medical discharge. Oh, I was thinking of that other Battle of Saipan with Roy Keane. No, unfortunately, not that one. No, 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 no. He would have won that one. I don't think he would have won against Roy Keane. I think Roy no. Keane missed a trick as a, being a hard man. Very similar, those. very similar to Lee Marvin, I think. But so when Lee Marvin filmed this, he was around. 42 he would have been about 42 when he filmed it so i'm 38 <laughs> and when i look at lee marvin i'm like these next four years are going to be rough for me if i end <laughs> up looking like lee marvin because <laughs> i am not the same age i did not look the same age as lee marvin so this guy had a hard life i'm guessing oh yeah the war age that's one of the th- yeah. um, whenever borman's been questioned about the interpretation of the film over the years he has said it's basically about yeah, lee about marvin trying to trying to get over the war uh, yeah. So yeah, he would have had a. Which makes sense because I mean, he gets shot probably much similarly to how he was shot in real life, mm. except when he was shot in real life, he was around twenty-two or something. No, he would have been about twenty when he was shot. Jesus, poor old devil. Yeah. I am nineteen or twenty. So he get, uh, go on. He gets his information. So he gets does. his information from old Steggers, the Stegosaurus Stegman. Uh, who tells him that Reese is with Walker's sister-in-law, Chris, who uh, Angie Dickinson. So he breaks in on Chris, and then she tells him that she actually, she says, can I just shock you? Mm-hmm. I actually hate Reese. That's what she says. She doesn't like Reese, and she likes what she likes Walker. Yeah, yeah. Reese and she's makes willing her to skin help crawl. Him. Yeah, ooh. and she's willing to help him in any way, so she agrees to... Uh, have to, sex to with Reese. Yeah, to have sex with Reese because she's nice. She's a nice lady. She wants yeah. to help out. She feels bad. So she's like, yeah, no problem. I'll go and have sex with this man who makes my skin crawl in his heavily guarded penthouse apartment. 
Oh, when you put it like that, I mean, Jesus, that that actually probably w- wouldn't would that wouldn't pass the the bar today either, would I, it? I don't I don't think that character will pass the Bechdel test. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that could be that could be problematic by modern standards. It's pretty. It's fairly rough. Yeah, <laughs> she has to go and have sex with some guy that she absolutely despises for no clear reason. She's just going to help out Reese because she no, she's going to help out Walker. Sorry, because. She she admires it. She's like, I, yeah, you seem like a good guy. And even yeah. though my sister is dead, and I guess uh, you you were overall a good influence on her life. I have to say though, jokes on Reese in the end because he doesn't pick up on any of Chris's reluctance at all. <clears throat> Re- nope. And actually, there's not really much discussion of the fact that they're gonna they're gonna uh, do the boom boom. It's just like Chris arrives. Uh, against, against the against the the regulations you came put to down your senses by the organization they let chris yeah. in to see yes. him into the building yeah and then he automatically goes all right all right <laughs> i knew you'd come around and it's uh, only a matter of time yeah and she, that's it there's there's nothing further said it's like wow yeah so it's at it. the same time uh walker uh, Walker goes over the road to the other side of the road from this heavily guarded apartment. He goes into this other apartment with two young, <laughs> two eligible bachelors living alone. They're gay guys, right? They're classic San Francisco I gay guys. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. but this, this, this isn't this isn't in San Francisco. This is in Malibu. This is in uh, L.A. In Los Angeles uh, at okay. this point. Yeah, because he's he's gone down to L.A. at this point. Um, I don't so get he goes, why he does that. Can you explain? Why, why does he why tie, does he them, tie up? them up? He, he, he ties. He says he's going to tie them up, and they're kind of like, okay, guess if you have to. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he calls. He gets them, to, or he calls the police for them. Mm. It's creating a disturbance, so a lot of uh, police cars arrive. And at the same time as all that craziness is going on out in the street, he sneaks into the heavily guarded apartment building. Goes up in the lift. He almost gets caught at that point as well. Yes. He's like the lift. The lift door opens again, and then uh, he gets. He goes upstairs. When he gets up to the top floor, he uh, disarms some guards and ties them up and <laughs> leaves them over the like hanging over the top of the balcony. But the way he sets them up is like he's got their like arses out, <laughs> just like <laughs> bent over the balcony. <laughs> it looks really strange. It looks really like he's planning something far more nefarious. <laughs> He's gonna um, stick yeah, a gun a bit up of a the weird bomb. moment. Yeah, yeah, basically, there's some weird, uh, like it's just it's an, a really awkward way to tie people up and leave them. This looks really strange. I don't know what he was thinking. And then he sneaks in uh, inside to Reese's room, and basically uh, get, gets Reese with a gun to Reese's head. Reese gives up the names of his organization's superiors: Carter, Brewster, and Fairfax. And then uh, Reese, uh, he forces Walker forces Reese onto the uh, onto the balcony, and basically Reese k- kind of falls off and plunges to his death. Yeah, one that's... of that's one of my that's one of my favorite points is watching the watching Reese fall to the ground. The it's like a pe- a paper as a cardboard yeah, 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 yeah. cutout or something. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like in The Simpsons when. Uh, Pucci leaves when Pucci has to yeah, go back yeah, to, his, yeah, to yeah. his home planet. Just that actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very similar. It's, it's a very piece of paper. ropey, and it's yeah. You, you but see, I love it. 
and you see Reese's bum all the way down because um, <laughs> he's in the nudie. Um, Again, fairly gruesome though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very violent. Slams into the ground, and then a car runs into him. I think you don't see that, but you see like a no. Like you see the aftermath of that. Yeah. Where to splattered. next for these boys? What happens then? So after that, after confronting, uh, so next he goes to Carter's office. So Carter, who's one of the organization's superiors, he goes, he gets into Carter's office and says, give me the money. And Carter says, uh, okay, we're going to do a drop. So they agreed to, uh, to give uh, Walker his money. Uh, the drop site is on uh, the Los Angeles River and the riverbed from uh, famous for many films like Terminator, Terminator 2. 2, most famously. But uh, so Walker knows that this is a setup. He suspects a trap. So um, he forces Carter to go down to, to, the, to the drop with him. And uh, he forces Carter over to go and pick up the money. Uh, from Stegman. And so when a sniper sees who he believes is Walker arriving, he shoots him. Even though it's Carter, he shoots him. And then he also shoots Stegman. So the sniper kills Carter and Stegman. And then Walker finds out that the money is, in fact, just paper. It was all paper. Yeah. I mean, it was always going to be. Yeah, but it was a nice little setup. And it, it was. was, a nice, it was it's and Walker's scene. smart. Walker, Walker does well. It's a great scene. The escape gang shot. So then after that, Yost, the mysterious Yost, takes Walker to a house belonging to Brewster. And uh, Walker visits Chris at her apartment, which has been trashed by the, the organization. Then he brings her with him over to Brewster's house. And at Brewster's house, Chris gets extremely angry. She goes around the house, like, turning on all the... Oh, yeah. Uh, and turning on lights, turning on music and stuff like that. I'm going to say then... as well, this is kind of... Yeah, uh, okay, yeah, people probably would... So then, so Chris... Would take this uh, character of Chris Chris, Chris starts slapping and punching Walker. <laughs> and Walker doesn't defend himself. And then in the uh, then in the Wikipedia story summary, it next says, Then they make love. Well, yeah, they, they, they do make love, um, and the, he's the classy. Yeah, he's made to think of rolling around with Reese while he's making love to her. Mm. He thinks of that for a second, which is interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting that that occurs to him. But I wonder if that is him thinking about the fact that Chris also shagged uh, Reese. <laughs> I don't know if that is him dealing with that, or if it's his his love of Reese, or if it's because none of this is happening. This is it, yeah. Um, it, yeah, um, it gets very trippy altogether. It's extremely trippy, a lot of that. So then the following morning, Brewster comes home and is ambushed by Walker, who demands his money, and Brewster's like, I don't have any cash. No one's going to give you 93000 Yeah, that actually makes sense. I'm with Brewster there. By the way, yep. had we seen Brewster earlier in the club? Is he the guy singing along with the black fella? I think so, yeah. So there was a really awkward uh, club scene earlier where there's like a black... Uh, what was it? Jazz? I can't even think what it was. What sort of music was there? Just sort of sixties kind of Sounded rock kind stuff, of funk. funk, funky. And so, like he, he's holding the micro, the the black uh, singers holding the microphone out for the most kind of awkward white people to sing along. 
Yeah, I wonder did stuff like that actually go on? Because <laughs> I assume so. This was actually filmed in um, in San Francisco in the summer of love. So I suppose it would have mm. been the height of all, the height Ashbury of all sorts of uh, mad shit like that. Even though that's not near the maddest. I heard an interview with John Borman about it where he was saying that it's just everybody was topless. I guess and, they were just filming stuff that was going on at the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, that's a trippy ass scene as well. It's all fucking trippy. Then yeah. we get so to, and go yeah, on. So the well, the next after that, the after uh, Brewster Walker forces Brewster to call Fairfax. Fairfax refuses to pay, and Brewster says the only cash available for Walker is in San Francisco. The drop has changed, but the run is still the same. Yeah, and uh, Walker shoots the goddamn phone, which is pretty awesome, yeah, if I may chum, say chum. so myself. And then, so Walker goes up to San Francisco. Uh, he refuses to show himself as a courier delivers the money. Hiding in the dark is the sniper, so the sniper shoots Brewster, the same sniper from before on the riverbed in L.A., shoots Brewster. And then Yost emerges from the shadows, telling Brewster that it was it was not Walker who shot him. And then Brewster gives the big reveal that Yost is actually Fairfax. And he's been playing Walker so, all along. Yeah. Or has he? Because the whole, so Fairfax's whole plan was basically to kill the other people in the organization who were trying to rip him off. They were trying to take power from him. Mm. So he says, basically says, Fairfax says thank you to Walker for killing all of these dangerous underlings and says, our deal's done. And you get the feeling, so so he basically says, he offers a partnership and Walker doesn't say anything and then Yost and Fairfax walk away and leave the money for Walker. I kind of, I got the vibe, I got the feeling that they were going to kill Walker. Yeah, I would have said, but, Walker, I mean, Walker has earned the right to not trust people at this point in the story. Yeah, like I thought that, I thought Walker was just staying in the shadows because Yost, uh, because Fairfax and the sniper would have just killed him. Like why? Uh, but then the this, this story summary is suggesting that like he was offering him a a partnership, offering him to work for him. Yeah, I. But I, like again, I, I. Well, I suppose there's many, many more books in the series, so who knows what went right. down with his. I'll Walker. see you in the next book, Walker, <laughs> Parker, whatever your name is. This film should not work in any way, shape, or form. But I don't know. Can you think of any other film like this, even? Apart from the limey that we've already mentioned, oh yeah, yeah, which yeah, again but... is quite trippy and has that same California summer, you know, crazy editing vibe. Hmm. Similar films. You were you were never really here for a revenge film. Yeah, and that's quite trippy quite as, well. as well. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing else coming to me right now. It's another film that it's. It... There would be no spoiling this film. It's all about watching it and experiencing it. Yeah, you can do, because, I mean, what's the spoiling? You just say, yeah, so Lee Marvin kills everyone, and the guy at the start, Yost, he's actually Fairfax. He works for the organization. Yeah, and ultimately it's like, who gives a fuck? Because it's not about stuff like that. It's about, about like, stuff like where Walker seemingly walks from Alcatraz to his wife's house. Oh yeah, and that's again has that that limey sound editing of mm. the like of him. He's walking, he's walking along like an airport uh, corridor, and you just hear the clump, clump, clump of his of his footsteps. And like, what are and they then, doing and, on the and ground? Then, and in then that they party. show you a bunch of other. They show you like a bunch of other shots, but all the while they're just still playing the audio of him walking through the airport. 
Yeah, it's like that's what it's about. It's really not about the plot. That's it. like the fighting backstage in that club, or even the club sequence itself. Wait, so you like that fighting? I mean, it I was, actually I did. Yeah, it was I funny thought... that I thought it was funny that Lee Marvin punched the guy in the balls, but oh, a lot of the, the fighting nuts. feels really awkward. I, I mean, disagree. You I thought it felt... you can't really I... compare it to modern cinema, obviously. But... No, I thought it would. I thought it. I thought it looked good. To be honest, it was much better than Cola Quaraniac or whatever he's called. Cola Quaraquariani from uh, from the killing. It was definitely a better bit of fight choreography. But it still felt a bit silly. Hmm, fair enough. Is it better in payback? Oh yeah, big time. You know Mel, he likes to scrap and say dodgy things. <laughs> yes, indeed he does. So uh, uh, number uh, number three would be Tenet for you. What's uh, definitely? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, how did these two fare out? What point blank versus the killing? I was shocked by the killing because I hadn't seen it before. So I was shocked that it was effective and characters like Nikki were in a 1950s film. Mm. Um, I'd already seen Point Blank. I definitely liked Point Blank more this time than the first time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I don't think I really understood what they were going for at all. I was quite young, I guess, as well when I saw that. Um, for, for me, it would be, yeah, number three, Tenet. Number two, probably the killing, and number one, point blank. I was blown away. I don't by know. Point blank. I don't know which one. I don't know which one I would put higher, point blank or the killing. I'd say they're at least, they're both solid. They're both really, really strong entries and better than Tenet. Point, better films than Tenet. Point blank strikes me as like the type of film that I would show to, like I would insist on showing to somebody, and somebody saying it's fucking shit, and then I'd be embarrassed. But like, uh, I don't know. It's the sort of thing that like, somebody could legitimately just say to you, it's boring and nothing happens. And you're like, I would be kind of like, that's almost the, the point. It's, uh, it's circular. There's a scene where he buries his wife and then it just pans over and they're digging another grave. Um, it's just all sorts of stuff in it essentially doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, that, that is quite big sort of uh, open air symmetry mm. like, with, a, with a, a symmetry with a view. Indeed, yes. Yeah, nice wee it's symmetry, like a, actually. Yeah. I am um, all right. Well, so uh, what have you got on the cards so for next week? Fuck Christopher Nolan. Fuck Christopher um, Nolan. Fuck him. Next week's film is Tenet. <laughs> so yeah, so my choice for next week is the Adventures of Baron von Munchausen. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my choice for next week is the 2016 film War on Everyone. Okay. Uh, directed by John Michael McDonough, starring Alexander Skarsgård and Michael Peña. So I chose this one because I haven't seen it. That was the main reason. I loved The Guard, and this is shocking. I still haven't watched Calvary. I, I know that's a bad thing, and I'm a bad yes, person for not having seen it. And I will watch that. I'll get around to that. But I thought there's more chance of me, of me watching Calvary on my own because I know it's definitely a good film. Mm. As I say, I really like The Guard, and um, this film is n- wasn't that well received. War on Everyone, so yes, would I'd be you... interest. I'd, I'd be interested to see if that's just like perhaps overly harsh for a dark comedy. That surprised me, to be honest, when I heard when I heard that. Mm. Uh, that yeah, so and I haven't seen this either. I, I've been, and I also I, like I like the actors. I think I will like it. I've had it knocking around for ages, so I'm I'm looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm. I'm 
if should you win the coin toss, let's give it a go. My nomination for this week is going foreign and pretentious. Uh, I'll do that at any turn I can. I'm going to go for battles of honor, uh, battles without honor or humanity, which is supposed to I be. I think you're talking about Jinjinaki Tatakai. That's it exactly. Uh, it's by all accounts the original Yakuza gangster film. Uh, the Japanese Godfather. Allegedly. Yeah, uh, it was huge over there when it uh, when it came out, and uh, yeah, I've always been meaning to get around to it. Never have. Yep. It's yeah, my opportunity. Good. You got a coin, brother? I do have a coin. Would you like to be heads or tails? This give is me, a, give a me heads. Pants. It is heads. Congrats. All right. So what are you gonna? So battles without honor That's of humanity. Zero. And what are you uh, gonna meet that in the middle with? So this film is directed by Kinji Fukasaku. And this was one of his earlier films. Well, his first film was way back in 61. And Battles Without Honor and Humanities, 1973. I thought, why not choose his final film? The final film he completed, 2000's Battle Royale, which I've seen before, but not for a long time. Ah, fair so enough. I thought That's it, the same I director. It, mm-hmm, exactly. So in 2000... Um, when he was about 69 years old. He died at 72 in 2003. Uh, but in 2000, he directed Battle Royale, the the tale of uh, school students murdering each other. Yeah, I remember really enjoying that when I saw it in the cinema. Yeah, I haven't seen it for a long time, but I feel like Battle Royale has influenced a ton of things that came after it. So I think it would be, inter- be interesting to look at two films from this uh, celebrated Japanese director's career and see uh, the progress between them. Awesome. 